Good morning. Once again, um, shall we turn to our Bibles to the book of Psalm 14? Psalm 14. If you're all there, just shout Amen. Psalm 14. To the choir master of David. Verse 1. The fool says in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt, they do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if, if there are any who understand who seek God. They've all turned aside together, they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Have they no knowledge, all the evildoers who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord? There they are in great terror, for God is with the generation of the righteous. You would shame the plans of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. All that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion when the Lord restores the fortunes of his people. Let Jacob rejoice. Let Israel be glad. Amen. That is the word of God. So interestingly, uh, there is a similar psalm that we, we find uh, uh, um, in Psalm chapter 53, if we, go, if we can all rush there. Psalm 53. Just for interest's sake, this psalm is known as the twin of Psalm 14 because it's it, 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 word for word they are similar, except for a few uh, uh, verses or words. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, doing abominable iniquity. There is none who does good. God looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have fallen away together. They have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Have those who work evil no knowledge, who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon God? There they are in great terror, where there is no, where there is no terror. For God scatters the bones of him who encamps against you. You put them to shame, for God has rejected them. All that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion when God restores the fortunes of his people. Let Jacob rejoice, let Israel be glad. This, this chapters carry the same theme and don't be fooled to think that it, it was a mistake. Providentially, it, it is the way that it is. Amen. Uh, just a moment. Uh, technology always has a way of uh, delaying. But praise be to God. Um, if you were to ask the average person, why God should let them into heaven? You would probably tell you that because they tried his best to, 
to, to work and live a good life. Most people sincerely believe their good deeds will get them into heaven. This understanding only demonstrates how ignorant humanity is, 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 is to their sin. We are so much driven to think that us, we, are, we have good in us outside of Christ. The idea that we have fallen, it, it irritates us. It, it, to show someone the Ten Commandments, they'll try to convince you how much they try to obey them and how God looks at their efforts. They miss the point of what these Ten Commandments are for. They show us how fallen we are, how much in need man is of God and salvation. So, in this sound, if we zoom in, it's as if David is, is, is looking upon uh, the broken and sinful man, or seeing how, how broken and fallen man is, as he sees the oppression happening toward the poor, the weak, and God's people. He then comes to the conclusion of saying that humanity is indeed fallen. The exact time and situation of this psalm, or when this psalm was written, is not clear, but Spurgeon, in his attempt to point out the historical context, comes to the resolve. Open quote. The Apostle Paul, in Romans 3, has shown incidentally that the drift of the inspired writer is to show that both Jews and Gentiles are all, are, are, are all under sin. There was therefore no reason for fixing upon any particular historical occasion when all of history reeks with terrible evidence of human corruption. Close quote. Where have we not found man's fallenness in all of scripture and even in all of this world? Think of the time of the flood. Think of Sodom and Gomorrah. We can even bring it home. Just walk around the streets of Harare and see for yourself. Or even to you yourself, you're involved in various heinous sins. Don't you ever look at your life and wonder how is this the way you, you live your life? You, you just wish that the ground would open up and swallow you. Mothers in here can agree with me that when they see within that cuteness of their child, they can see the depravity in that small human being. All of humanity is fallen. All of us are born with a nature and enmity with God, and every evil deed we perform flaws from our darkened hearts and minds. But even though man is fallen by nature, only God can save him from his depravity. Hence why even in the thickest spots of evil and depravity in this world, God saves some. God saves his elect. Hence even the direction of our sound, it will take us to a comforting truth that God is being there for his people. He's being their protection. He's being their guide. He's being their refuge in the midst of such evil. I think that's the beauty of the gospel. We are presented with the state of who we are and what we deserve. 
And just before we think to ourselves that there's no hope, and in truth, there's no hope apart from Christ, the good news of the, of, 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 of the gospel is then laid out in its full, in its fullness, that there is a Savior. Amen. So as we follow along this psalm, give close ear to the contents of what David is saying about the state of you and I and how others in their fallenness have denounced God's existence in their hearts and in their life. These people have become so vile that some devour even the weak and the poor and the people of God. The hope for the believer, how then, is found in the revealed faithfulness of God. God being their refuge in such a fallen world that they yearn for his second coming. Not to save sinners, but to purge evil and take his children home. And the believer has this confidence in God and prays him for the final judgment of all evil. Dear friends, the title of my sermon today is A Fallen People and a Faithful God. And I plead that you be attentive. For this is a word that needs to stir up your heart. Let's look into a text. In verse 1a, it says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. The psalmist in part A of, 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 of verse 1 comes to this conclusion that those that denied the existence of God are fools. Who is the fool, the one that says there is no God? The atheist. In our text, the Hebrew word for fool is nabal, which refers to an immoral person. For example, Nabal, the husband of, of Abigail in 1 Samuel 25, whose name meant who he was morally. The Bible describes him as a harsh and a man of bad behavior. A clear description of the term fool in our context is laid out perfectly in Isaiah 32, verse 5 to 6, if we can all rush there. Isaiah 32, verse 5 to 6. The fool will no more be called noble, nor the scoundrel said to be honorable. For the fool speaks folly in his heart. So, the, for the fool speaks folly, and his heart is busy with iniquity, to practice ungodliness, to utter error concerning the Lord, to leave the craving of the hungry unsatisfied, and to deprive the thirsty of drink. The word foolish isn't referring to someone who isn't smart intellectually. It's referring to a moral decay, a problem that is deep-rooted in the heart and not in the mind. And in verse 1, David paints a picture of the atheist, the fool that says there's no God. Think of men like Richard Dawkins, Christopher Hitchens, and so many that have lived before this man. And these people, they are one of the smartest people you ever meet in this world. But based 
on the evidence presented, the evidence laid out before their eyes about God, they decide to deny him. Not just to deny him, but to say that God is not real. They willfully disregard God. This is never a battle of, of, of thoughts. Because they, these people, they come to, to the resolve or to the conclusion of basically saying that everything in existence was a result of nothing. The basic logic being denied is that this building we're in right now came from nothing. This is the clear truth. Atheists are denying. In the original Hebrew, the words that is we found in we find in our, in our text, if we can all look, the fool says in his heart, "There is no God." Are not found in the original manuscript. The people who have translated the text we have now, like the ESV, they place there is, that phrase there is, for the sake of you and I, for it to make sense of what exactly is being said. Because what the original text was saying, the fool says in his heart, no God. No God. This is a willful denial of God. Just like when one says no to something they don't like. So like, ah, no, you know. It's adamant. It's sure. They don't want God. There's no hesitance. But the fact that some people insist on denying the existence of God does not erase God. It won't make God a myth. Here's what Spurgeon says. Open court. But as denying the existence of fire does not prevent its burning a man who is in it, so doubting the existence of God will not stop the judge of all the earth from destroying the rebel who breaks his laws. Close court. The denial of God from the fool won't stop the judgment of God from befalling them. Now, please note that there's another type of, of atheist, the practical atheist. This one says there's no God, but here's the catch. This practical atheist is saying as long as this God minds his business and leaves me alone, then we're okay. Right? Yeah, there's a God, but yeah, I don't need him in my business. I don't want him. They want to live how they want without being told what to do or be accountable. They wish God just leaves them out of his plans and let them be. But friends, this wish of saying God leaves me alone is, is not a wise wish. It's a foolish wish. Because even whether we, we, we understand it or not, all human life, all human life, saved or not, we are all dependent upon God. Acts 17, 28, in him we live and move and have our being. People don't want a God who demands morality from his creation. Paul in Romans 1, 18 to 23, talks of, of, of this atheist, this fool we're talking about. Let's all go to Romans chapter 1, verse 18 to 23.
We'll try to read to maybe verse 23. Here's what Paul says. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. In the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. Friends, this is clear as day. The truth about God is made known to all men, not to some men. But man, because he's fallen, he thinks he's, he's outsmarting God, he suppresses intentionally what's around him. We can't deny what Paul is saying in verse 19, that for what can be known about God is plain to them. Because what God has shown it to them. There is a, a sense and knowledge of God within everyone. The Lord has put eternity within every heart. Even if you want to think of that isolated uh, tribe in the jungle, God has made known in their hearts. God reveals himself to every man on the planet through what we call general revelation. That is God revealing himself in creation. In Psalm 19, verse 1 to 4, I'll just read it here. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out, goes out in, into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. According to this text, God's existence and power can be clearly seen through observing the universe. What's in front of you? All creation, all of creation. Hence, there's no excuse for mankind to deny his existence. The cosmological evidence is there, meaning the creation of the universe is evidence that there's a creator. The anthropological evidence is there, meaning that the unique nature and character of humanity means there must be a relational God. Morality, the evidence of, of, of morality, meaning that it's existent because there must be a God who governs. Amen. Verse 1, part B. They are corrupt, they do abominable deeds. There's none who does good. The fool that denies God is corrupt. The definition of, of being corrupt here in this context doesn't simply uh, 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 mean dishonesty or unethical behavior. It goes deeper, suggesting a fundamental distortion of one's character, lack of, of, of moral compass, a willingness to engage in deeply 
sinful, harmful acts. The one who denies God often does abominable deeds because there is no standard of morality in their lives. They stand in pride with a disregard for God. It's not as if they can't decipher logic. They just choose to suppress it. Listen to what one professing atheist says, open court. For myself, as no doubt for most of my friends, the philosophy and meaninglessness was essentially an instrument of liberation from a certain system of morality. We objected the morality because it interfered with our sexual freedom. Close quote. This person just had to suppress the idea of morality in their, uh, 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 in their hearts. In, in other words, they just had to suppress the idea of God so that they could do what they want. They knew that God is real. But this thing of morality, of, of being, you know, uh, staying pure, it's interfering in, in my life. I need to enjoy life. So I'll just close my eyes and I'll pretend as if I don't see the light. The denial of God paves way for all sorts of evil. Let's go back to Psalm 14. Let's look at what the Lord sees when he looks from on high, from verse 2 and 3. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man and, and to see if there are any who understand, who, who seek after God. They all turned aside together. They've become corrupt. There's none who does good. No, not even one. God is always seeing when he looks down from heaven, he's looking for anyone who seeks him. It's not an intellectual judgment he's looking for. But what I mean by this is that God is not looking if there's anyone who's smart enough to figure him out, someone who's brilliant enough to figure him out. Because in all honesty, fallen man cannot seek God. An unsaved man can't seek the God of the Bible. Only a saved soul is able to seek God, and it's not even for them to enter heaven, but it's a seeking for holiness in their walk with God. Psalm 105, 4 says that, Seek the Lord and his strength, seek his presence. This is not a salvific uh, sort or, or search. This is a person who has known grace, and now he's seeking to be holy. But that's not the point of the sermon. The context of our, of our psalm is on the fallen state of man. The fool that denies God, the one who doesn't seek him. That when God looks from heaven to see if there's anyone who seeks after him, he won't find any because we say fallen man is a fugitive. Fallen man does not seek after God. He runs away. He's not searching because he can't. He's incapable. J just a side note. You may hear someone who isn't, isn't a believer say that they are seeking or searching for God so, that, so they want to come to church or they've been attending a church somewhere. But the fault in this 
if man is doing the pursuit of God, if fallen man is doing the pursuit of God, then that pursuit isn't of the God of the Bible. What they are after is a genie. Something that can grant their wishes at their command. That's what they're after. You hear someone say that, But, well, I'm sorry to break it down for them, or if anyone who's coming to church because of that. Because when you come here at BRBC, you find us preaching Christ in Him crucified. Not your best life now. Amen. Moving on. The true picture that God sees when he looks down is that man has all turned aside. Together they've become corrupt and there's none who does good, not even one. God not finding none that does good means there is none. There is none. Humanity has fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 This is true of you and I, everyone. It's not the atheist alone who said, ah, David is right, you know, the atheist, ah, it's not good, man, I'm I'm better, you know. We are fallen. This is the state of who we are outside of Christ. To think of the evil that's happening around. We could list so many examples. Idolatry, man becoming worshippers of, 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 of dolls and man, our material possessions. Even atheism itself is idolatry because one is resting in his heart and he worships it. Oppression of the poor and vulnerable, as alluded in verse 4. We'll look at it. Violence and bloodshed, deception, exploitation, human trafficking, sexual abuse, abortion, homosexuality. We can go on and on and on revealing the state, the true state of you and I. David looks and observe humanity devour itself, devour itself. He sees the true state of all men, including himself, when he was looking down on the oppression that was happening. Never think to yourself that you are not capable of committing any of those uh, uh, sins. We are capable, very much capable. Apart from Christ, you hold so much potential of being the next Hitler. Don't think to yourself, you're better. It's only in Christ where true goodness and love and kindness is realized. Allow me to warn you, friends. At times, we may even think to ourselves that we are right with God, yet we are living like He doesn't exist. We're just the practical atheist. In how we live, we live like we are masters of our own destiny. We have a disregard for God, uh, uh, for God and his statutes. We need to be watchful lest we become fools that are pretending to be wise. Look at how even among the brethren in church, you can sing all the hymns in church, you can say the right things, you have a big, a big bright smile on your face. But when Sunday comes to a close, or when you part ways with your brothers and sisters, 
You dine with immorality. You slander your brothers and sisters. You invite the world into your home. You're nothing more than a hypocrite, a fool who thinks can fool God. Yes, an atheist who denies the existence of God is, is a fool. And even you who acknowledge his existence and even claim to be saved by him, yet you are doing abominable deeds. It's not me who's saying this, but scripture is saying that you are a fool. We can't love darkness and light at the same time. The Bible says those that love God, they obey his commands. We need to be watchful, examine our lives constantly. It's not, it's not something we need to relax, you know. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Amen. Verse 4 of Psalm 14, I hope you, I'm still with you. Have they no knowledge of all the evildoers? Have they no knowledge of all the evildoers who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord? We just read through 7. There they are in great terror, for God is with the generation of the righteous. You would shame the, the plans of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. All that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion when the Lord restores the fortunes of his people. Let Jacob rejoice. Let Israel be glad. As we now zoom into verse 4 through 7, this is where this psalm takes its turn and, and, we, and we're not only now gazing at the fallenness of, 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 of humanity, but the picture of the faithfulness of God is now being uh, expressed How do we see the faithfulness of God in this uh, verses? In that his people are living among the foolish men that oppress them and take advantage of them. But he stands up for them and gives them a refuge and hope and reason to rejoice and give praise to him. In verse 4, David marvels at the willful ignorance of evildoers. They don't call upon the Lord. They reject Christ. They reject the gospel. The hatred of God from the evildoers causes them to oppress and persecute believers. This expression of, of saying, they eat up my people as they eat bread, is a metaphor of abusing others through, op op through oppression and hardship, especially poor people and those who are helpless. This, this kind of description, we see it in, 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 the, in the Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 30. Verse 14. There are those whose teeth are swords, whose fangs are knives to devour the poor from off the earth, the needy from among mankind. I'm sure a majority of us in Bubbles, we know that if you get into a legal case with a, a rich man, your chances of winning that case are close to zero in most cases. Of course, in the event that you're truly innocent, we also know for a fact that these so-called prophets and apostles we have today are stealing from the poor. Their churches have become places for business. In the Bible we see Micah scolding the rulers of Jacob and Israel for choosing sin over goodness. This included 
corruption and injustice. Let's rush to Micah chapter 3, verses 9 to 11. Micah chapter 3, verses 9 to 11. Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight, who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Its heads give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, It is not the Lord, is, is not the Lord in the midst of us. No disaster shall come upon us. The abuse of the people they were supposed to lead is expressed, especially in a very graphic way in, in, in verse, from verse 2 in the, in the same uh, cha chapter. It says that you who hate the good and love, uh, and love the evil, who tear the skin from off my people and their flesh from off their bones, who eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off them and break their bones in pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron. Very graphic imagery here. So these men have no saving knowledge of God. They have enslaved the, themselves to become workers of iniquity. They're not thinking of crying out to God because what their hearts are busy doing is devouring the poor and the despised people of God. Hordes of people swarm into these big mega churches in search for greener pastures because men, because the man in charge promises them kingdoms. He tells them that it is well. But there's always something they're after. There's always something they're after because their hearts are corrupt, because their hearts are evil. And you may wonder why. Because man is sinful. There is no place that he hasn't corrupted in this world. He has corrupted himself and whatever and whoever who is around him. So if we see the evil in the world, especially when we look at the church and say, what is going on? Don't look at an external problem. Look at the heart from, it's within the heart that the foolish man says there's no God. Within the heart. Verse 5 and 6. There they are in great terror, for God is with the generation of the righteous. You would shame, you, you would shame the plans of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. David here is expressing confidence that the Lord will punish those who oppress the, uh, uh, his people. Though even sometimes it may seem that this wickedness is, is, is being left unpunished, that the rich, simp the, the evil people seem to, to be uh, 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 flourishing, you know? 
The psalmist says in Psalm 73, But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of their when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Even the prophet Habakkuk, from, from, from chapter 1, verses 2 to 4, he cries out, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? O cry to you, violence, and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth, perverted. We then should know that just as the author of Hebrews states, no creature is hidden from his sight. But we are all naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Because God is faithful and he will not leave his own to be devoured by evil, he will bring just judgment to evildoers. These oppressors will be stricken with terror, with the terror of God's judgment. David knows that there is a day coming when the fool will be in so much dread and fear, faced with the reality of God standing before God and giving an account of everything that they did. There is no escape for the poor. Try to imagine yourself living your whole life rejecting God, doing what you want. But when the great day of the Lord comes and you realize the truth about God, what a nightmare. This reality is inescapable. In verse 6, David says, you would, you would put to shame the plans. In other versions, it says the counsel of the poor, meaning the truth about God. The fools seek to destroy the people of God because they hate God. Hence why they rise to abuse and to oppress but as a believer, you should take comfort in knowing that God is your refuge in the midst of all this. Some of you here suffer. You want to observe the Lord's day fully, but your boss threatens your job if you miss a shift on Sunday. Some of you fight with your parents before coming home because they don't want you to go to church. This world hates you. It's even after your kids. In some countries, it's a crime to deny your child to transition gender. You can go behind bars telling Chadwick that he's a boy. And he comes to you saying, no, daddy, I feel like I'm a woman trapped in a man's body. Denying that. Tell him, no, child, you're lying to yourself. You'll be sued. And it's a law. I mean, imagine. Prices of basic commodities spike, but the salaries don't change. It tempts the believer to sin against God just to get a slice of bread. Or 
that desire to live godly lives will suffer because already this world is opposed to godliness. But as a child of God, you've been placed in, you've been placed in this very place, this Zimbabwe we cry about, to continue on his work. It doesn't matter how much the evildoers rage against you. The God that saved you is faithful. He's your refuge and stronghold to guard you in all, way, in, in, in all the way, in all ways. Because, friends, when, when God is your refuge, you, as a child of God, you are immovable. Amen. Which takes us to the last verse of our psalm. All that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. When the Lord restores the fortunes of his people, let Jacob rejoice, let Israel be glad. As we have established at the beginning that David is looking down and seeing the evil that's happening. And verse 7 of this psalm stands as a prayer. A prayer of restoration. That those of those that were, were being oppressed or are being oppressed... Israel in Isaiah 12 2 will confess in that day behold God is my salvation I will trust and will not be afraid for the Lord God is my strength and my song and he has become my salvation with joy he will draw water from the wells of salvation David anticipates the kingdom as a joyful time of restoring Israel's fortunes Israel refers to God's people in this context all believers all of God's elect. The phrase restore fortunes is characteristic of the prophets, for example, in Ezekiel 16, verse 53, as they describe the era of restoration when Israel enjoyed the blessings of God. It says, God is saying here, I will restore their fortunes bought the fortunes of Sodom and her daughters, and the fortunes of Samaria and her daughters, and I will store your own fortunes in their midst. When God's people see the act of God, of God's redemption, of God being their salvation, they don't cry, they don't dismay, they rejoice. Even after Israel, Israel, um, during the time of the exile, God demonstrated his faithfulness by his blessings and even allowing them to rebuild the temple. So what does all this entail, all, all of this in verse 7? God is faithful. Do not be discouraged with this fallen world or with those that reject God. Christ is, re is returning soon, as I said before, not to die for sinners, but to judge and purge evil. Let us have courage that we have built upon the rock of the Lord Jesus Christ, will not be moved. Let us have confidence that God is our refuge and stronghold. And as believers, we know that there is a God and he is seated on his throne. And it is God by his Holy Spirit who has 
brought the special revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ to our hearts. And he has done this by sovereign grace. So Christian, rejoice. Let us be glad. Let us be encouraged that we are not the fool who is saying in his heart, there is no God. Let you and I be humbled that it is grace that has taught us that there is a God in heaven. And he is the Lord of the heavens and the earth. It is by grace that you know that. And if you're here and you haven't called upon the name of the Lord, I encourage you this morning to repent and turn to him. He has sent his son to die for sinners. And on the, he, has sent his, he, has, he has sent his son to die for sinners on the cross. And it's by the shedding of his blood and his death and resurrection that he has made the only atonement for our sins that we may find full acceptance with God. Jesus will not cast you away. He's a willing savior who, who will embrace you and clothe you with his perfect righteousness for all eternity. Do not continue to, to reject God. And for those that reject him, on that day, that great day of the Lord, when he returns, those that rejected him will sink like a house built on sand into the pits of hell. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we are grateful for such a time where you have delivered your word into our hearts. Lord, oh God, a sinful people like us, oh God, have known grace. And oh God, we see even the evil that is happening outside. It is not, there's nothing else to blame apart from the sinfulness that's, that resides within the heart. And we pray, oh God, that would strive on to, to seek your face and live holy lives. That, O oh God, we would be equipped in our hearts to go into the world and share this precious gospel and, 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 and warn the people of the coming judgment. That their souls are in danger. That it is not wise to live as if you do not exist. Oh Lord, help us this morning. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Um, now we'll enter into the time of communion. Um, as we are transition, I'll just take a moment, a minute or two, on, and meditate upon what has been preached. <laughs>